In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all those up through the 12th grade please come forward. are getting there we're getting close to what Christmas Christmas you know what season we're in right now anybody Advent, Advent. what Sunday of Advent is this second, second Sunday of Advent I you lit I know you did I know thank you for doing that too and this is our first Sunday here isn't it way to go well Advent is Advent is here two weeks until Christmas and we're still waiting for Jesus, aren't we? I mean, certainly in this season, we prepare our hearts to receive Jesus as he came 2,000 years ago as a little baby. But I think most important, Jesus to come again in majesty and great glory. So when's he coming? December 25th. He's coming December the 25th. It's his birthday. It's his birthday. But I'm, but, and Easter. But I know, but that's when he came as a little baby. Do you think he's going to come and all the earth will see him coming in majesty on the clouds of heaven the second time? Do you think that's coming on December the 25th? You think? This year? Okay, you heard it right here. This year. It might be. You know what? We really don't know, do we? But but we. He can come whenever he wants to. But we've been waiting for 2,000 years. And he said he will be coming again. And, and I wonder, I began to wonder, uh, you know, in our, one of our readings today in, the, in, in, second, in Peter's epistle, he says a day is like a thousand years, right? And a thousand years like a day. And so I wonder what that looks like for God. So we know what a day is. We wake up every morning, right? And we go to bed every night. The next day we wake up. How many, how old are you? Eight. So eight times 365, that's how many days you've lived so far, right? Or, you know, close, right? So day after day after day, we're waiting. And so a day for us is 24 hours. But for God, it's like a thousand years. One day is like a thousand years, how many of you are going to live to be a thousand years old? Me. You are. <laughs> you, I don't know of anybody who's ever lived to be a thousand. Just a little bit over a hundred, maybe, right? A hundred and twenty-two. That you are. That's the oldest person that you know about. No, it's yeah, the I asked our, person our divide. That's the oldest person in the world. Yeah. Yeah, one twenty-two. Well, but it's not even close to a thousand, is it? Nope. So. So if, if one day for us is like a thousand, if, yeah, to God, or did I say that wrong? A thousand years for us is like a one day to God. So, you know, so maybe it's been like two days, right? 
It's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So for G in God's eyes, that's like two days, right? Back in 365. And 365 days? Years. years. Thousand years. You know, my wife asked me last night, she said, can you get the box of Morton salt off the top shelf? Because she's shorter than I am. And in fact, I almost couldn't reach it. So I got it off and I began thinking, wow, one little piece of salt one little piece of salt makes a day. And then if I counted out 365 pieces of salt, that would be like a year. 365,000 pieces of salt still in that container would be like 10,000 years. And there's still a lot more salt left. That one piece of salt for God is like that whole container. Now that one piece of salt is good. It, it helps make the whole container full, right? But God, huh? Maybe he just needs some energy. Who, God or the, the salt? No, Jesus. He needs to come back because he needs some energy. You need. You think Jesus yeah, might need here. some energy here. to get back? Or he's lost with the GPS. He, uh, you think he's lost <laughs> with the GPS? You think Jesus uses GPS? I think. I think Jesus' GPS is up here, right? He doesn't even have the, he doesn't need a phone. You know why? He talks to us in our prayers and we talk to him. We don't need a phone, do we? To talk to God. We only need, we can send him text messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you could ask him all kinds of questions, Facebook. couldn't you? Facebook. Well, think about this, you know. Be, I don't think he has a Facebook Be ready. It's okay. Be ready. Be ready for the coming of Jesus, okay? Just be ready. Prepare your hearts. Live like a good Christian, love the Lord, and, and just be ready. Because he could come, he could come December 25th. He could come on Easter. He could come, he could come tonight. Wait, what? And he also comes every Easter. He comes every, and he, you know what? He also comes every day into our hearts mm -hmm. when we ask him. Okay? Just remember these things. These are important for us as Christians to know. Okay? Okay? Good. Thank you all for everybody for coming up. You can get a packet over there from Miss Johnson if you want to color and go back to sit with your parents or grandparents. Easy, easy, easy. Thank you. So since we are in a lesser penitential season than Lent, Advent is lesser penitential than Lent, you know, my, my jokes, and the new people in here just be mindful that they demand that I do a joke before the sermon. Um, my, my jokes are going to be lesser funny because, you know, they're usually just, everybody's laughing, bellowing, and but today we'll see. There was once a handyman who had a dog named Mace. Now, Mace was a great dog, except that he had one really weird habit. He liked to eat grass. I mean, not just a little bit of grass, but in great quantities, it would make a lawnmower blush. Nothing, it seemed, could ever cure Mace of that bad habit. Well, one day, this handyman out, was out in the yard with his wrench, working on some things, and he set it down 
And as he was looking for it, when he was cleaning up, he couldn't find it in the tall grass while where he had been working. He looked and he looked and he looked, but it was nowhere to be found. Well, as it was getting dark, he gave up for the night, decided to come out the next morning. And when he awoke, he went outside and he saw that his dog had eaten all the grass around the area where he had been working. And his wrench now lay right there in plain sight, just kind of shining in the sun. And going out to get his wrench, he called the dog over to him and said, Ah, a grazing mace, how sweet the hound that saved a wrench for me. I warned you, it's a little bit less humorous. Today I would like to focus on our second reading. Our first reading is about John the Baptist, and every year at this time and for the next three or four weeks, we have three or four lessons on John the Baptist, and I've done many sermons on John the Baptist, and so I thought, okay, I'll just do Second Peter today. And um, so we come to verse 8 of Second Peter, the first verse in our reading, where Peter says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And you've heard me tell this, this joke a few times before. A man visits God and says, God, do you mind if I ask you a question? God says, no, ask me anything you want to ask. So the man says, God, you've been around for a very, very long time. So for you, uh, how, how long is a thousand years? God replies, well, for me, a thousand years is maybe like five minutes. Man says, that's interesting, God. And for you, how much is a million dollars? God replies, well, for me, a million dollars is like five cents. And the man says, really? Well, then, God, could you lend me five cents, please? And God looks at the man and smiles and says, of course, my son. Just wait five minutes. Now, what's really happening in that verse is that people seem to be questioning the fact that the Lord had not yet returned. This is the second epistle of Peter. Biblical scholars have debated about when this might have been written, either by Peter himself or by one of his own disciples, anywhere from the year 60 all the way up to the year 150. So from 30 years to 120 years out, people are wondering, why hasn't Jesus come yet? Just as we were talking about in the children's sermon. Where is Jesus? He said he was coming back. Well, now Peter follows up with an answer. He says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then in verse 10, but, Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a loud noise. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything that is done on it will be made known. So God is faithful to his promises. He will come again in his time. He is patient with his people. But, Peter tells us, the day of the Lord is coming. 
and it will come unexpectedly and we must be ready for it. It is customary within Christian history for these four Sundays of, of Advent to talk about the four last things and, I, and we have at times. Today I want to talk about judgment. You've got death and judgment, heaven and hell, the four last things. I want to talk about judgment today because that's what Peter talks about in his epistle. But let me begin with this. Uh, back in May of 1969, a national magazine told the story of Port Royal, Jamaica. And here's what the article said. Cities have been smothered with volcanic ash, leveled by hurricanes, shaken apart by earthquakes, but no disaster quite matches the one that struck Port Royal, Jamaica at 11.43 a.m. on June 7, 1692. In the space of less than 10 minutes, the thriving pirate port, reputedly the most wicked city on earth, sank convulsively into the Caribbean. An eyewitness described this scene. The earth heaved and swelled like the rolling billows, and in many places the earth quacked, uh, cracked open, opened and shut with the motion quick and fast. In some of these, People were swallowed up, and others, they were caught by the middle and pressed to death. The whole thing was attended with the noise of falling mountains at a distance, while the sky was turned dull and reddish like a glowing oven. Upward of 2,000 people perished in the chaos. Even today, many Many Jamaicans believe that Port Royal's destruction was the price exacted by an angry God for its sins. Peter tells us in today's reading that God's judgment is coming. It is coming upon our world so extensively that it will make Port Royal's destruction seem pale by comparison. Seeing how Seeing as how God's judgment, according to the scripture, is inevitable, it will happen, there are a few things that we probably need to understand. First, looking back earlier in this very same chapter, at verse 3, Peter says, first of all, I want you to know that in the last days, men will laugh at the truth. They will follow their own sinful desires. Well, we happen to know that that just doesn't happen in the last days. It happened in the beginning days all the way through the last days. But listen to this. People who desire to run their own lives without the restrictions of God's standards will always find a way to ignore God and the potential of his judgment. They don't care. They're like the drunken cowboy who was stopped by the highway patrol. The cowboy refused to take a breath analyzer test. He explained, the last time I took one of those tests, I flunked, and I'm a lot drunker now than I was then. <laughs> you see, he was living according to his own standards and not the standards of the law. So I'll say it again, people who desire to run their own lives without the restrictions of God's standards will always find a way to ignore God and the potential of God's judgment. There's another illustration. A young woman was studying in a science class. The class was discussing the evolution of man. 
As they considered how each part of the human anatomy must have evolved, they came upon the eye. And they spent a great deal of time discussing it because it was so complicated that it was difficult to explain its evolving into some kind of, in some kind of simplistic fashion. And though the student was not a Christian, it seemed to her that perhaps evolution might not be the best way of explaining this phenomenon. And she said so. But the teacher, the teacher became irritated and responded, young lady, we're not here to talk about God. Now, at least for that teacher, evolution had become a refuge from God. For that type of person, if God doesn't exist, they can live however they want to live because in their minds, there's no possibility of punishment for their actions, no ultimate final reckoning for their sins. They can eat, they can drink, they can be merry, do whatever they want to do. But if God does exist, suddenly, they know that their standards aren't good enough and they have to change. Secondly, those people who ignore the potential of God's judgment do so at their own peril. Verse 7, right before our lesson begins today, says, but, but by the same word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now here's the bottom line. In all of scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has a reputation for judgment. In any conversation, let someone bring up the Old Testament story of Noah and the flood, and I guarantee you, someone's going to talk about God's judgment. Bring up the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God's judgment. Bring up the story of the ten plagues in Egypt, God's judgment. Or from the New Testament, the story Jesus told about the separation of the sheep and the goats at the last day, or the many times he spoke about the worthless servants being thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's about judgment. When these stories are brought up, the image that pops into our minds is God's judgment. God has a reputation for judgment. I mean, talk to any insurance agent about an act of God, and he or she will tell you that it means a catastrophic destruction of lives, of property. When Peter says what he says in today's lesson, He's saying it doesn't matter whether or not you think that God is coming again in judgment. The fact is, God is coming in judgment. And people who ignore that are going to do so at their own peril. And then the third thing we need to understand about judgment is this. And people get this wrong all the time. God takes no pleasure in judging his people. In verse 9, Peter says God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from their sins. He wants no one to be lost. Or if we look at Ezekiel chapter 18, God says, if a wicked man turns away, if a wicked man repents from all the sins he has committed, if he keeps all of my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live. He will not die. 
None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. And then God continues, do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live? Now, in our minds, we, we can understand this truth up to a point. But there comes that point at which we're not sure that certain people really ought to have the chance to repent. And in all of our conversations, I'm sure the name Hitler has come up or some other evil person. I'm talking about people who've done things so evil, so unspeakable, we just know that there's a special place in hell for them. We also know that we wouldn't be nearly as merciful to them as God might be. And yet, if God weren't willing to be merciful to even them in their response of repentance, that's important to hear, in their response of repentance, then his promises would be empty for all of us. How would it be if God said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though, you, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool, oh, all except for you because of your sins. Or how would we ever be able to believe Psalm 103, which says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. And oh, by the way, your sins, uh -uh, forget about that, you don't count. If God weren't able and willing to be merciful to the worst of sinners, how could we be sure that he would show mercy even to us? But God didn't want us to wonder about these things, and so he showed mercy to a backstabbing brother named Jacob, the brother of Esau, to a prostitute named Rahab, to an adulterer and murderer named David, to a vile, evil ruler named Manasseh, to a man named Peter who denied Jesus three times, and on and on and on the list goes. God showed mercy to those whom the world, us, we, would reject. Listen to what St. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And by my reckoning, that would include probably just about all of us sitting in this room today. But Paul continues... And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And finally, folks, be assured of this. God's judgment is coming. Again, Peter tells us in today's reading, the day of the Lord returns. The last days, it will surprise us like a thief in the night. Everything will be destroyed. So you should serve and honor God by the way you live your lives. 
On that day, the heavens will be destroyed by fire. Everything else will melt in the heat. But God has promised us a new heaven and a new earth where justice will rule. Notice that Peter here is talking to Christians just like us. The Lord's coming should influence how we think, how we live. I like what Dorothy Sayers once wrote, if men will not understand the meaning of judgment, they will never come to understand the meaning of grace. In other words, if we don't realize what we could have faced at the judgment, what our sins deserve, then we will never appreciate the grace and the mercy that we have received. But if we do realize what we might have faced in judgment, then we will live and we will think differently as Christians. So here it is. God's judgment is coming, whether we like it or not. And it's not because God looks forward to judgment, because God wants all of us to be saved. But there are people who ignore the potential of God's judgment, and they do so at their own peril. Folks, God's judgment is coming. And we can't do anything about that except the way we live our lives, give our lives to Jesus. One more story. One day, an ambitious university student was talking with a wise old uncle. And the uncle asked, Joe, tell me what you plan to do after you graduate college. And Joe said, oh, I, I don't know. I guess I'll start my own career. That sounds prudent, said the uncle. What then? Um, Joe said, I, I guess I'll get married and have a family. The old man said, that's wonderful. What then? Joe replied, well, I guess I'll make my fortune. The uncle said, good for you. What then? Joe said, well, then I'll buy a country home and I'll retire. And the uncle said, that sounds inviting. What then? And Joe said, well, I suppose that one day I will die. And the uncle said, that's true. What then? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.